Welcome to Tabled Fables. Just in time for Halloween, we've got a story about child abandonment, cannibalism, murder, and candy. Once, once upon, upon a time, time, once upon a time, there were a brother and sister named Hansel and Gretel. They live with their father and mother somewhere in near the woods, and something happened to their mother. Her mother died, and it was just them and their dad. And he remarried, and the woman was, well, she wasn't a good person. So um, she kind of persuaded him that they had to ditch the children because they couldn't support these two mouths to feed. So she decided that she would take him out into the woods and just leave the kids there one day. And the kids had a piece of bread, and so they knew what the stepmother was going to do. So they just left breadcrumbs along the trail um, so they could find their way back home. And then the stepmother left them in the woods and they went to find their way home, but pigeons had eaten up all the breadcrumbs, so there weren't, there was nothing there, and they were totally lost. And they wandered lost in the woods until they came to this house. And the house was made of bread, the roof was made of cake, the windows were made of transparent sugar. It was the most delicious house ever. And so Hansel and Gretel started chewing on it, and they started eating at the house. And this house was really home to a witch. She said, nibble, nibble like a mouse. Who's that nibbling on my house? And she came out and she said, why are you children eating my house? And they were, children were really scared, but then the witch pretended to be nice. She said, come inside and I'll make you dinner. And they went in her house and she gave them a nice meal. And then she threw Hansel in a cage and locked him up. And her plan was she was going to keep him in there and feed him well and fatten him up and eat him. So she fed him well every day, and she would come and check on him, and it turns out she was very old and didn't have very good eyesight. So she would come up to the cage, and she would say, little boy, stick out your finger and let me see if you're fat enough for me to eat yet. Well, Hansel, again, was not stupid. He had kept a chicken bone from one of these wonderful meals she had given him to fatten him up. He would stick the bone out. She would feel the bone. He didn't feel very fat and juicy and tasty, so she would wait. At some point... I guess they got tired of this whole situation, and the witch decided she was going to eat him anyway, even though he was skinny. So she was stoking up the fire, and while she was doing that and bent over the fire, Gretel went up and pushed her into the fire, slammed the door. So Gretel freed Hansel from his cage, and the two children found that the witch had all these piles of gems and precious stones and chests in her house, and they stole all the witch's jewels and put them in their pockets. And then they ran out and started on their way home turns out by now their father was looking for them and they found each other and lived happily ever after that was i don't know about you but i think that this story is is a little sick um <laughs> we're talking about cannibalism we're talking about a witch we're talking about hungry children hungry children who murder someone exactly who murder someone and they watch with delight <laughs> as she's burning up and then they steal yeah they <laughs> steal all her jewels it's really dark but at the same time it's a it's, it's this is the story that i always think of as being awesome because it's a candy house and then you've got that contrasted with all these dark gnarly bits like the house with candy belongs to a witch that wants to eat you it's i love that that sort of contrast in the story and that's what makes halloween sort of great you've got trick and treat for this story we talked with maria tatar and she chairs the program in folklore and mythology at Harvard University. So she's written extensively on fairy tales and symbolism in fairy tales and what they might mean through the eyes of a child. These fairy tales are a little bit like, uh, I think Philip Holman put it as Punch and Judy shows, where uh, they're masks rather than real people. And uh, I think children recognize very quickly that once upon a time is not the here and now. 
that this is a place where your imagination, all your fears and your fantasies can run wild. So that's interesting. The violence in the story, which is definitely fairly extreme, you know, pushing a witch into an oven and cooking her alive, children don't see it as actual violence. They see it as something cartoonish, the way if you're watching sort of old Looney Tunes cartoons, you know, characters there get blown up, but it's done in such a cartoonish way that you don't really fear for their well-being. Yeah, I remember watching Marvin the Martian or Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner (laughs) and not thinking, oh, God, they're hurt, so it wasn't a scary thing. Let's just talk a little bit about kind of the history of this story and the reality at the time that, you know, this was this was a time of famine. This was a time when, you know, there was actual children abandonment. We do know that, you know, these fairy tales uh, were told at a time when life was nasty, brutish, and short. So, uh, of course, we read them in, in symbolic ways, but there are historians who have argued that they that those hard facts give us a window into the culture of earlier times. I, I actually don't think that there were that many parents who abandoned their children, um, who said to them, oh, well, we're starving, so you're going to have to go out into the woods. Uh, certainly parents still felt love and affection for their children in those times and, and sacrificed for them. But there were so many extreme situations um, that are that are are actually reflected in these stories. One of the women I interviewed to tell me the story of Hansel and Gretel, she's a mother, and she said, wouldn't you rather kill your kids than watch them starve to death? Which I thought was really interesting. I mean, it doesn't absolve the parents in this story from, from any wrongdoing, but perhaps you can have a little empathy for them and say maybe, you know, maybe in the father's case, you could see how he would rather get rid of his kids and let them kind of die on their own and and not witness it than watching them starve to death. We should talk about where the story came from. Um, The Brothers Grimm didn't make it up out of whole cloth. Their source was their neighbor, Dortch and Wilde, who ended up marrying Wilhelm Grimm. And it's really entered our, our consciousness culturally. Right. And when that first edition of this book came out, there was a lot of criticism because they weren't children's stories. And parents, for whatever reason, well, I guess children was in the title. So they were reading these stories to their kids at bedtime. And they were getting, the parents were getting freaked out because they were so gruesome. Yeah. Um, this so isn't there's... the only story where chil- in, in the Brothers Grimm collection where children have to face off against either bad parents or against monsters in the wood. And in fact, there's a tale type called Children and the Ogre, which is about children having to face off with a monster and sort of defeat it by their wits. Because obviously, if you're a little kid, you're not going to be able to fight back against either an adult witch or a monster. You know, the house of the ogre, uh, which is almost an oxymoron in that, you know, the house represents protection, shelter, and warmth. But what is in it? Something that is threatening you and that is endangering you. If I may, I want to mention another narrative. A child has to leave home because of hunger, is tricked, but eventually makes its way to a luxurious house where it has to face off against a monster, it steals the monster's treasure, and runs away home. It sounds a lot like Hansel and Gretel, but that's actually the bare bones of Jack and the Beanstalk. And Jack and the Beanstalk features a a trickster star. The main character there is a trickster. And it's also related to other tales told by the Grimm's and other fairy tale tellers. So Hansel and Gretel isn't 
entirely a trickster story because the children really start out fairly hapless. Right. Lost in the woods, abandoned by their parents. And it's almost as if, which is what is rare in fairy tales, they undergo a sort of character development. Or at least Gretel does. I think Hansel's fairly trickstery from well, the beginning. Yeah, exactly. At the beginning, Hansel is more of the trickster. And, and I guess you're right. It's not a trickster tale in the, the general sense because it's... It's almost as if someone's tricking them. They, they turn just, the tables. Exactly. They just have to turn the tables here, and, and they're doing it to survive. What's so good about this story is that we've got these two kids, and they're down on their luck. They're abandoned by their parents, and then they have to deal with this witch, which is far worse than dealing with their parents. And they triumph in that quest to kind of get home, and, and I feel like that's what makes this such a good tale. And the interesting thing is they kind of face two antagonists, because initially when the the I feel like the main force trying to abandon them in the woods is the stepmother. The stepmother's the one who nags the dad to let them go. The stepmother's the one who prevents Hansel from gathering stones when he wants to leave a path back to the house, so he has to leave breadcrumbs instead. So you've got that antagonist. They swap it off for the witch antagonist, and once they defeat the witch, it's almost like they've sort of defeated the stepmother at the same time because by the time they get home, the stepmother's sort of mysteriously died off stage. <laughs> right. So it's almost as if you've got a connection between the two forces working against them. Um, and we've got some other tales that are also, I guess, under the umbrella of Children and the Ogre. Well, I would say that there's a tale called The Juniper Tree, which seems to be more about the sort of as opposed to children and the ogre, it's more children versus their parents. And I think Hansel and Gretel kind of combines aspects of this tale with the trickster tale. But this tale is called The Juniper Tree. That shocking tale <laughs> about a stepmother who decapitates her stepson and cooks him up in a stew for his father, who eats the stew with gusto. And I'll leave it at that and let, um, let you pick up the story and read it for yourself. Okay, spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you what happens in this story. <laughs> the child is killed by the stepmother, and the little sister named Marlene gathers up the child's bones after it's been eaten and buries it under the juniper tree. And then a bird flies out of the juniper tree, and it sings a little ditty that goes, My mother, she slew me. My father, he ate me. My sister, little Marlene gathered up my bones, tied them up in silk, and put them under the juniper tree. Tweet, tweet, what a fine bird I am. So the bird goes around collecting some, singing its song, and people pay it in goods. So it gets a gold chain, it gets a pair of shoes, and it gets a millstone. And then it goes and sings the song outside of its family's house. And the father comes out and it drops the gold chain around its neck. And little Marlene comes out and it drops the shoes before her. And then the stepmother comes out, drops it drops the millstone on her, and she dies. I think this is a good segue into just talking a little bit about stepmothers in general. And stepmothers, I for one, I, I mean, I had a stepmother. I still have a stepfather. I love him dearly. And I feel like the stepparents just, they get the brunt of it all in these fairy tales. And we need to have, we need to just have a special Step Parents Day of the year to honor them because they're always evil. We've got the evil... The evil stepmother in Cinderella. We've got the evil stepmother in Hansel and Gretel, which, you know, even in the first version of this story, I think it was just a mother or it was just a woman. And then in subsequent versions of the tale, you know, I guess the Grimm's were like, oh, we can't bash our mothers. We should bash the stepmothers or someone else. And that's interesting because, yeah, I think there are sort of two things going on. First of all, you're right. I think people, if you read this tale and you hear it's a mother, people might be like, oh, that's too unnatural. That's impossible. But, I mean, we know that 
sometimes mothers do horrible things to their children. But somehow it seems easier to say, oh, it's a stepmother, so it's not her natural child. It makes it seem a little less horrible. And then I think the second aspect is that these stories aren't necessarily always real-life situations. I mean, sometimes they are, but they're also sort of reflecting a child's fears. And I think that when a stepmother or a stepfather, another parent comes into the household, the child has to readjust the same way that you would have to readjust if a new sibling comes into the household. You have to reestablish what your place is and how you relate to the other members of the family. And so I think that if we think of these stories as sort of reflecting childhood fears, universal childhood fears, the idea of turning the step-parent into a monster mm-hmm. is sort of, it's a reflection of what's going on in the child's head. But there was a guy who tackled it almost from the point of view of the parents, and that's the uh, the psychologist Bruno Bettelheim. Oh, yeah. Bruno Bruno Bettelheim. This, he is an interesting character. This guy, uh, Austrian-born American psychologist, and he wrote a lot on Freud, psychoanalysis, and children with emotional problems. So one of his books was Uses of Enchantment. That was a 1976 book where he just kind of dissects fairy tales and interprets them through this Freudian perspective. And a lot of it was kind of putting the brunt of problems on the children. Bruno Bettelheim, in his landmark study of fairy tales, The Uses of Enchantment, I think makes the mistake of looking at them from the point of view of the parents. And so he sees Hansel and Gretel as these voracious children who want to eat their parents out of house and home, uh, who only fantasize about being abandoned in the woods, when in fact you know, the parents are uh, uh, the villains of the tale. They, uh, the children are living in a time of famine, and, and of course when they see the gingerbread house, they, they are, they're hungry and they want to take a big bite out of that roof and out of those windows. I think this guy is a bit, you know, out there. I think that I think that I mean a lot of his ideas, a lot of these sort of notions of Freudian psychology have kind of been debunked. But I think that he does do kind of a valuable thing in saying like, you know what, we can apply serious perspective to fairy tales. We can kind of break them down and and pull them apart and see why they are the way that they are. And I mean, he does talk about the the children as having sort of these cravings for the candy house and sort of being eaters. Yeah, but I mean the kids were starving. They were walking around in the woods for 3 days. <laughs> so of course, of course if you see anything that looks like food, you're just going to run up and eat it. Okay, so let's not blame the children here for being hungry when they see a house. But how about the theme of eating in the story? I think that's such a prevalent theme. The children are eaters in this situation, that they're these extra mouths to feed. They find the house and they become eaters of the house. So the children are these, they fulfill the role of eaters. And then the witch turns the tables and they're going to be the eaten ones. Mm. And the witch is going to eat them. And then... They take the witch's treasure and they become the providers and the feeders. They bring the treasure back home and they can feed their family. So it's sort of interesting to see sort of the evolution of the children from eaters to eaten to feeders. Yeah, and I agree that it is a tale of of growing up and kind of learning how to use your own resources and learning how to not be so dependable on parents. But first of all, your kids. So I feel like 
you have to have some sort of dependence on your parents. And I just I feel like this guy was way too harsh with the role that he assigned to the kids in this tale. You mentioned how sometimes children might see adults as monsters that want to eat them. But it's interesting how how exaggerated that fear becomes in these stories. But the fact that they're in stories kind of lets children face the fear. In European folklore in general, flesh eaters, eaters of humans, uh, which, you know, cannibal somehow doesn't quite get at, um, I mean, obviously we have the, the same um, the same meaning there, but flesh eater is even more vivid and frightening or eater of humans. And I think when that word comes up in fairy tales, it is terrifying to the child. These tiny children are surrounded by adults, by these giants, and these giants sometimes feel like they're going to turn into ogres and monsters. And then, of course, you have all of the monsters of nightmares, the the monsters under your bed at night, the shadows and all those other scary things that might come out and pounce on you. And these tales give children an opportunity to talk about the things that they dread and that they fear. If that's the case, then another fear that these children are fighting is fear of abandonment. I mean, if the root of one of the scary aspects of the tale is the idea of your parents taking you off into the woods and leaving you alone, by putting this in fictional form and then showing that the children can come back and they can eventually make their way home and triumph, it kind of shows that that they can face this fear of abandonment. The stories, I think, give us the what if. What if you actually were abandoned and living in a time of famine? But also, what if you're just emotionally abandoned? Uh, For a child, when a parent turns away, it can feel as severe as being sent into the woods. So I think these stories can be read on many levels, both literal and metaphorical or symbolic. We haven't really talked about this yet, but I don't think of fairy tale characters as really developing and changing and growing. But I think that what we definitely have here is a development, at least in Gretel. And it sort of, to me, goes back to the idea that this tale is kind of a combination of the a child abandoned by the parents' tale and by the trickster tale where the child faces off against a monster. And I think that Gretel goes from a sad, abandoned child to a, a capable adult who sort of saves herself and saves Hansel. And at the beginning of this tale, she's crying a lot when they overhear that their parents are going to abandon them in the woods. And Hansel is the brave one who says, no, no, don't worry. I'll protect you. And by the time they enter into the witch's house, it's there's this shift. And Hansel, who's the one in a cage, becomes the, the whiny one. And, and Gretel becomes the brave soul who pushes this witch into the oven to free both of them. So, yeah, I agree. And I feel like Hansel and Gretel are equals when they leave the house and they sort of both navigate home. But when they get to this body of water that's blocking them, they come against this big obstacle. Hansel says, we can't possibly cross it. And Gretel says, oh, we can. Here comes a white duck. It will help us cross if I ask it. And then the duck comes over. And Hansel says, "Okay, let's both sit on it. And Gretel says, no, if we both sit on it, we'll be too heavy. So Gretel instructs the duck to to take them across one at a time. So this is such a huge jump from the little girl who all she was doing was crying at the beginning. I mean, she's smart. She's capable. And she and her brothers sort of work together to get themselves home. So often when you have same-sex siblings in fairy tales, their enemies are always fighting with each other and trying to kill each other. 
and and suddenly, and this is why I love the story as a child because it was about that solidarity about the two children helping each other. When one is helpless, the other steps in. I like what she says there because I feel like it's important to gain your independence, but it's also important to know when you need to ask for help. That's all the time we have for this episode, so please join us next month when we talk about Cinderella. Oh, speaking of feuding siblings, yeah, the (laughs) evil stepsisters and another evil stepmother. And cutting off toes. Oh, yeah, lots of mutilations. (laughs) Stay tuned for that one. So if you'd like to find out more about us, you can visit us on our website at tabledfables.tumblr.com and send us an email at tabledfables at gmail.com. If you prefer Twitter, our handle is tabledfables. Thanks a lot and have a happy Halloween. Woo-hoo.